Well, it is actually another mockumentary, would you believe it? A genre that I don't particularly care for. <laughs> really? You've brought two out of the three mockumentaries that's to us, true. so that's well, very uh, Oh, no, this one of them was an actual documentary. It was a documentary. Um, it was just a silly documentary. A very, a very silly documentary. Um, but anyhow, yeah, it is another mockumentary. Arguably, the OG mockumentary from the OG mockumentary crew. Um, oh. Also, it is a movie that has transcended just comedy movies... And become a cultural touchstone uh, among musicians for the last 35 years. Oh. And one of the most influential films of its decade, I would say. Okay. No exaggeration. Kay, have you seen This Is Spinal Tap? I have not. And it's been on the list for so long. We will get into this. But this is a family classic that I haven't That is a seen. very weird way to describe this movie. Not, not in a family-friendly way. Like, my family... <laughs> This is one of, we don't own a lot of DVDs, this is one of the DVDs we own, and I have never seen it. Oh, by the way, before we get started, I am going to blow your mind with a fun fact toward the end. Ooh, can't wait. But, uh, we'll I found an that. interesting one, too, but you might already know it. We'll, we'll see. see. All right. Through two decades, 17 classic albums, countless unforgettable concert triumphs, they changed the face of British rock music forever. And the best part is, they're back. Final tap, get out there, you're on! Get ready. Get set. a greased, naked woman yes. on all fours yes. with a dog collar with around dog her collar. neck and a, leash, and a leash and pushing a black glove in her face to sniff it. You don't find that offensive? No, you don't, I don't find that sexist? Well, you should Listen have seen the cover they wanted to do. From the place where eardrums go to die come the living legends of rock and roll lunacy. This is Spinal Tap. You know, it's like Hemingway said, you know, remember them as they were and write them off. All right. Hello. Welcome back to K. Have You Seen? My name is Kyle. I'm Kari. And uh, this week I am extremely excited. And Kari, I think from your reaction to last week, you're pretty excited too because we are talking about a really legendary uh, comedy film that has one of the strongest reputations of a movie of its kind uh, ever. Mm. Uh, it can rightfully be credited with really jump-starting the mockumentary genre in a lot of ways. I, I don't know of a single one that ever came before it. We can talk about that later. Um, and in that way, I feel like it has a lot in common with our movie from last week, What We Do in the Shadows. I am, of course, talking about the seminal 1984 Rockumentary, documentary, mo uh, mockumentary, this is Spinal Tap. Yes. Um, and I'm, I am just beside myself with excitement to discuss this movie. Okay. Um, but before we begin, Kari, having watched this movie for the first time, and we'll talk a little bit about your experience with it in a second, but could you do us a solid and tell us just like an objective summary in your own words, what is This Is Spinal Tap? All right, so This Is Spinal Tap... You already said the rockumentary, documentary, mockumentary thing. I can't top that. But <laughs> basically following a rock band as they're doing, I guess, their second tour of the United States. They were a British band. Basically following the trajectory of the Beatles in a lot of ways. They kind of reference their their past iterations as a band. And it's very, like, Beatles style. They went through the clean cut and the 70s kind of flower power. And now they're this, like, kind of grungy heavy metal band. So it follows them on tour in the United States as they're basically mostly forgotten. Like they, their popularity has kind of waned. People aren't really feeling their, their vibe anymore, I guess. And so they're kind of trying to bolster their audience and getting some, get some solid gigs while they're in the States. Um, and just kind of struggling with some, uh, some real band issues yeah. along the way. That's uh, pretty pretty much it, um, which we will discuss this at length throughout, but that very much could be the description of a legitimate documentary about any number of rock bands. Oh, absolutely. Honestly, I thought the first, the intro sequence 
you have um, Rob Reiner, which it took me yeah. a minute to be like, oh <laughs> yeah. my god, that's a Rob Reiner. Yeah. But he, he gives kind of this intro that feels very, like, like it's almost not even a spoof at that point. Yeah. It, at least now. Like, it could just be a dated movie. Mm-hmm. And then um, the intro kind of, like, rock and roll sequence, like... If I hadn't known it was a mockumentary going into it, I could have been like, oh, okay, this is real. Well, you're not the only one, um, and I just feel like I'll drop this in now as good Mm -hmm. time as any. After the movie debuted, Rob Reiner said that he was approached by somebody that told him, like, the movie was great, but you should have picked a band that was more popular to do the documentary about. Whoa. So... Okay, so before we get too far down yeah, that yeah, road... Yeah. Like, I have a lot to say about Yeah, that. so the official summary of this movie... Well, I, I say official, but this is like one from IMDb that I thought was good. In 1982, legendary British heavy metal band Spinal Tap attempt an American comeback tour accompanied by a fan who was also a filmmaker. The resulting documentary, interspersed with powerful performances of Tap's pivotal music and profound lyrics, candidly follows a rock group heading toward crisis, culminating in the infamous affair of the 18-inch stone. Stonehenge stage prop. Um, it's a movie that didn't, it was a modest success when it came out. Uh, critics enjoyed it. Ebert loved it. Roger oh. Ebert was—he—he's actually listed this one in his um, great movies collection. Wow. Um, so like, even after he had reviewed it in the '80s, he included it on his best movies of 1984 top ten and wrote an extra essay about it for his great movies collection. Wow. Go figure. On IMDb, this is a joke that if you've seen the movie, you'll get immediately, but it is the only movie that is rated on an 11-point scale. Yes. Um, I don't remember for sure when I first saw this movie. Probably I was between the ages of like 14 and 16 when I was mm-hmm. trying to devour as many movies as I could and that had heard that I had heard were good. Um, but I'm curious, you told me briefly what your background was with this movie, which is part of what made me want to bring it to the table. Mm-hmm. So why don't you just give us a little bit of history with you and this film? Yeah, I think I mentioned this on the last episode, but I, so this, my family, they're not big movie watchers. Like we didn't own a lot of DVDs. We didn't like sit down and watch a ton of movies growing up. I mean, there were some for sure, but like, you know, it just wasn't like, that just wasn't us. And this is one of the ones, this is one that both my parents loved but I was never allowed to watch because, <laughs> and honestly, watching it now and thinking about it, I don't know why. I, I would say oh, probably okay. not a great movie for okay, kids. All right, all right, all right. The, the lyrics are worse than anything else. Like, you don't really, there's not a lot of, like, explicit content. It's there's just not. The, the words. The, li- the lyrics, which we can get into because I think that was the funniest part of the movie. I'm so glad you agree. But, um... Yeah, so I I had never seen it. I actually was talking to my dad recently about the fact that we were doing this for an episode, and he was like, you've never seen Spinal Tap? Because this is one of, like, a very few amount of DVDs Mm -hmm. my family owned. Uh And he was like, that's, our family loves that movie. You've ever seen it? And I was like, no. Yeah, dude, you never let me watch it. let me. When was I going to see it? Like, this was a, like, kids go to bed, we're going to watch Spinal (laughs) Tap movie. So I had, that meant that, like, I had seen a couple scenes like there were some things as I was watching and I was like oh I've definitely seen this because you know you walk through the living room or you oh yeah like, oh like yeah you're on the stairs I know how that game is played yeah yeah so the the scenes I knew obviously 11 is just kind of iconic and I think I probably saw it as they were watching it but also just familiar with it because it's such a cultural yeah. um meme now that the egg getting stuck at the, during the one performance <laughs> where the bassist can't get out of the egg I, I will bring that up later on because I have a hilarious story about that, okay. but go on. That one I had seen, and then the metal detector scene in the airport. All just things that it was like, deja vu. I've seen this scene before. If you can see, yeah, the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. Oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most most blokes, you know, be playing at ten. You're on ten here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on ten on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere. Exactly. What we do is, if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to eleven. Eleven. Exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to eleven. You could have very easily just never seen that movie and seen each of those scenes a hundred times on just TV because... Possible. Those, I think, are probably the three most iconic scenes from the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and 
the movie itself is extremely iconic. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to give... Uh, did you know anything... By the way, did you know anything about the crew that made this movie? Like, the Christopher Guest... Um, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, because like you know they did also like Best in Show oh. and things like that. No, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that that was the connection. I, I mean, we can talk a little bit about. Yeah. Some, I, there's a connection with this podcast because Michael McKean was in Clue. Mr. Green. Mr. Yeah. Green. And I saw that and I was like, oh my god! I never mm-hmm. would have recognized him. They are <laughs> polar opposite characters. For sure. But, um, no, I didn't realize that that was the same. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. they made um, uh, Best in Show. I think it's probably the most famous one that they've done. Also, A Mighty Wind. Mm-hmm. And Anyway, they've done several mockumentaries over mm-hmm. the years. Uh, they brought in lots of other people, like uh, like Fred Willard, who played the Air Force Lieutenant. He's uh-huh. with them a lot. Oh, okay. um, a lot of faces. Uh, Catherine O'Hara bring, is, is, is with them oh, quite yeah. a bit in uh, more recent... Anyway. It definitely seemed like there was kind of an ensemble, like friend crew because yes billy crystal shows up for literally one scene and he's in face paint and i don't right. know i mean i assume you know at the, the time you know who the other mine was who dana carvey before he was famous what? yeah before he got on saturday Night Live. i didn't see that at all the one i'd also realized angelica houston is credited i don't know who she was no actually i didn't notice that she's I, credited i, I, no I don't idea. know i don't huh. know where she shows up but it's me um yeah but yeah rob reiner obviously knew michael mckean yeah but yes you are correct christopher guest and michael mckean are old friends and harry Shearer, like mm-hmm. they're old buddies like they've known each other since like the 60s um and they're all musicians they actually played all the music for Spinal Tap, which uh-huh. we'll talk about. We will talk about. Sure. Put a pin in that. Um, but yeah, Christopher Guest as Nigel Tufnell, the very dumb lead guitarist. Uh, Michael McKean as David St. Hubbins, the slightly less dumb uh, lead singer, and Harry Shearer as Derek Smalls. Rob Reiner as Marty DeBerge, the filmmaker. So those are like the four main characters in this movie. Again, there's just some background here. Christopher Guest had previously played guitar under the name Nigel Tufnell on Michael McKean and another friend's album, Lenny and the Squig Tones. Um, the, all of the band characters for Spinal Tap, had been they developed for a comedy show in 1978 that they never got off the ground. Um, it was based very much like uh, what we do in the shadows on a short film that they had made earlier. Um, they made a short in 1982 as a proof of concept. And almost all of that footage appears in the final version of the film. Also, Holy was shot in L.A. County, so that one building in the scene where they said that they're in Atlanta. Not really in Atlanta, Uh, um, unfortunately. Um, Our home base, for those who somehow don't know. Um, The cinematographer for the film did not know what parts were supposed to be funny. (laughs) So he was just, he just shot it as he would shoot any kind of documentary. Um, all... I did notice the, the cinematography and the editing were very good in this. I think yeah. we talked about this in what we do in the shadows as well, but the, it is, it's, it's a little too perfect, but in some ways it's also not like right. the way they, they cut, you can tell they had to cut things out and mm-hmm. kind of stitch together. Sure. But yeah, I, I did notice that it was, it was good. Yeah. The dialogue all improvised. Okay. Um, I was going to ask that too. It was all improvised to the point where, okay. So the four guys I mentioned earlier, um, uh, Harry Shearer, Rob Reiner, Christopher Guest and Michael McKean, they are the four credited writers in the movie, mm-hmm. but because all the scenes were improvised, they lobbied the WGA to credit every actor in the movie as writers, and the oh. WGA said no. Really? Okay, I noticed at the end, I was going to bring this up, I, I didn't know where this was going to fit, but I did notice um, in the credits, they say, like, thank you to the entire cast and crew mm-hmm. for your um, creative contributions, right. something along those lines. Yeah. And I don't, I maybe I'm not paying attention, I miss that in other documentaries, yeah. but this know. was, I thought that was really interesting, and it did kind of make it, like, okay, this was a... Team this effort. Was a passion yeah. project. Yeah, 100%. This was everybody was on set having fun. Yeah. They ended up shooting a hundred hours of footage to the point where they had to hire three editors total to Jeez. get through it all. Because oh, this God. movie's not long. It's like an hour and twenty minutes, yeah. and they shot a hundred hours of footage <laughs> for a movie that's less than ninety minutes long. Um, on one hundredth of the footage yeah. made it into this What a nightmare. But Jeez. still. Um also uh We'll talk a little bit about the connection with, like, the real music industry very soon, but, like, I could have sworn that the character of Janine, David St. Hubbins' girlfriend, mm-hmm. wife, whoever, yeah. I thought for sure she was based on Sharon Osbourne, but I can't find oh. any information to back that up, so I guess it's just coincidental. I, I, I don't mean, know. she was definitely, like, the Yoko trope, which yeah. exists in many different right. band lores, so I don't know. Sharon Osbourne in particular... Obviously, I don't know this firsthand, but she has a very bad reputation sure. among the community of, like, 
the like rock bands in mm-hmm. from the eighties because they said that basically she basically used Ozzy Osbourne as a cash cow, uh, and that was kind of the character here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I thought this was interesting. Penelope Spheris, who's a, not an exactly household name, uh, she was approached to direct the movie originally and turned it down. Her other credits include the actual heavy metal documentary Decline of Western Civilization Part Two: The Metal Years, mm-hmm. as well as. Wayne's World. Mm. Um, she would have been great, I think, even yeah. though I, Rob Reiner obviously did a great job. For sure. But anyway, just that was a little background to that get out of the way. Um, so let's move on here. This is kind of an interesting mockumentary because it, I don't know a single mockumentary that ever came out prior to this. They may have existed. Mm. I don't know about them. Okay. Um, this is a mockumentary that kind of speaks the truth about as much as any straight documentary which I don't know if you know any of the background about like how this movie was received among musicians at the time that it came out. No, I don't. So a mockumentary that managed to expose any truth is kind of an odd thing on its own. Mm -hmm. But the context here is like what was happening in the rock music world in the early eighties. And I don't want to like get too down too far down this, this path, but there's like post Led Zeppelin, post Aerosmith and right at the birth of like the hair metal bands, like, you know, Scorpions, uh, Motley Crue and uh, Poison and bands like that. So this is kind of like a transitional point in like that big rock star thing where still this was kind of at the height of like super sexist idiots with total lack of self-awareness kind of like ruling arena rock and stuff like that. And there were a couple of like actual documentaries that came out shortly after this or around the same time. One called Heavy Metal Parking Lot where they just like took a video camera around the parking lot of a stadium that was having a um, Judas Priest concert that night mm-hmm. um, and this is like 1984-85 so around the same time and they just like shot all like the debauchery and like teenagers going buck wild in the parking lot oh for like God. the entire day it's bananas <laughs> um, but it's a great piece of work and then like I said The Decline of Western Civilization which was a documentary that Penelope Spheris made that interviewed um, like bands so like I think Def Leppard was in it Sebastian Bach from uh, uh, Skid Row was in it anyway so the that came out after this, I believe, and so it's interesting that this movie kind of predicted that. Yeah. So this movie comes out. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? Your point about mockumentaries not exposing truth. I feel like that's kind of the point of a mockumentary. Is it's, to... it's more. This one in particular, I feel like, is more satire than parody in the sense that it attempts to kind of, maybe even unintentionally, I'm not sure, kind of like reveal the truth through imitation as opposed to just making fun of tropes. Does that make more sense? Sure. Yeah, I think the making fun of tropes, like the point is that you are, you're kind of pointing out the truth about that. Like you're seeing mm-hmm. them as, you know, if if you take them very seriously, you're not maybe seeing them with perspective and it's supposed yeah. to give you some perspective. I don't sense. know. It's, I don't mean to split hairs, but it's just, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's the purpose of a mockumentary. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. The reactions from the music world, I feel like, are kind of important before we really get into too much talk, and I'll try to blow through this pretty fast. Musicians have responded very in very interesting ways to this movie. Okay, I'm really intrigued. Uh, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, Jerry Cantrell, Dee Snider, Gene Simmons, and Ozzy Osbourne have wow. all commented that the scene of getting lost backstage on the way to the stage have happened to them <laughs> at least once, and that was very, very true to life. And that scene was actually inspired by a video of Tom Petty, RIP, at a concert in Germany who walked through a series of doors trying to find the stage at a gig but ended up getting lost on a an indoor tennis court. That is nuts. That was so that was such a funny scene. It was great. That's crazy though. Um also Ozzy Osbourne and Steven Tyler are both reported to have had mental breakdowns after watching this movie because they thought it was too real. Jeez. Um Steven Tyler in particular, other members of Aerosmith have described that this movie, you know, Stonehenge is a big motif yeah. in this movie. Uh-huh. Probably their lowest performing album, Aerosmith's lowest performing album came out right before this movie, prominently featuring Guess what on the cover? Stonehenge. Stonehenge. Um, God, it's the Macbeth of rock and roll. Yes. Um, George Lynch, George Lynch of the band Dokken and Glenn Danzig of the band uh, Misfits both have commented that when they saw the movie, they were like, holy shit, this is my band. Um, <gasps> Whoa. The Edge, uh-huh. the guitarist for uh-huh. U2, he said he cried when he saw the, fir- the movie for the first time because it was, again, too close to home. Also... 
sidebar about you too. This you commented on the scene where like Derek gets caught in the pod. Right. There was a tour oh when when I want to say you two was touring behind How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb in 2003-2004. They had a stage prop that was a giant lemon, oh, a giant egg this. or lemon. And the ramp got stuck, and oh, Bono was supposed God. to come out of it, but they had to have stage techs come out and open, like, manually open the ramp. Oh, yeah, the stage techs in this also. Like, the one oh, stage the tech that always runs out to, like, fix everything. Unsung hero. So funny. Unsung heroes of this movie. Um, anyway, and also in the Pearl Jam documentary, Pearl Jam 20, the band jokes about the fact that they've had the same three core members since their inception but they've had five drummers and they have they explicitly said it was very much like spinal tap ah! um and also lots they of spontaneously combust they they do a segment in the in the documentary pearl jam 20 where like they do a reenactment where they show their current drummer being attacked by a sea monster mm. <laughs> um lots of bands have since compared their tours and other bands to spinal tap and metallica this is a great one on its own they released their own The Black Album in uh-huh. you know, the, the cover was just black in like 91 or 92. And they explicitly said they based it off of the Smell the Glove artwork. Uh, so they did that on purpose, which I love. Well, you know, death sells. So. Death sells. Yeah, exactly. So it's just going to be like this. It's going to be that simple, beautiful, it, classic. David. Well, I think it looks like death. David, it looks death. like morning. Death sells. I think he's right. There's something about this that, that, that's so black. It's like, how much more black could this be? And the answer is none. None's more black. So, yeah, I'm curious. Does that influence the way that you see this movie now? Like, knowing all of that and how musicians of that period and that genre responded to this movie, what do you think about that? I think, I mean, my first thought as you're saying it is, this movie is not for us. This movie is for rock musicians. Apparently like, traumatic for some rock musicians you know, and therapeutic like, for others. It's like when we were talking about happiness and for me, understanding it as art instead of as like entertainment totally changed it. Sure. I feel like that is the truth for rock musicians watching this. Like if you understand it as like they just have a completely different understanding than us like peasants, just normal <laughs> normal civilians watching it. That's so funny. But it also, like, you know, watching it and not being... I'm not a huge, like, music buff. I don't have a lot of, like, rock history Mm -hmm. in my brain. But, like, it did... There were a lot of things that just kind of rang true and made sense for me. That Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, like, you know, you see, like I said, the Beatles trajectory. Sure. um, Different thing that that girlfriend that comes in and tries to... The kind of interloper that ends up weakening the band and... The, the kind of schlubby um, agent guy who's trying to, you know, he's not nearly as cool as any of the guys, but he's still, he's, he's there doing the dirty work for them. All those things are <laughs> yeah. tropes that I recognize yeah. from actual rock and roll history. But now it's like, oh, you know what? That's, that's not just my opinion. Right. That is the experts agree. Yeah. And, and I cannot imagine the sensation of being a person who like, you know, you've been famous for like a decade or, or more and you're living kind of in your own little world and you're thinking like, Oh, these weird things that happen, they just happen. But then to actually see a movie and observe that someone has fictionalized your life experiences and you're like, Oh my God, is this happening to other bands too? I can't imagine what that experience must be like. And, but it also makes it, it makes it poignant, but also 10 times more hilarious to me to know that, this extensive list of like true stories just lines up perfectly with this movie. Yeah, that's crazy. That's so funny. And I, you know, it's a, uh, you know me pretty well. I have an affinity for like 80s rock music, mm-hmm. big time. 80s just everything. 80s everything, yeah, indeed. Um, but I, I, I've always kind of described like the Motley Crues and the Van Halens and things like that as dumb, but brilliant. Mm. Like dumb, but great, I guess. Not brilliant, sure. dumb, but great. And I feel like this movie which is hard to think it's an easy thing to do in a retrospect but kind of a hard thing to do sometimes at the when you're at the epicenter it nails that feeling of a dumb but also kind of great yeah absolutely 
We're going to get into the music later. but We um, can get into the music right now if you want. I, I thought the music was great. <laughs> I thought the music was really good. Um, and Roger Ebert agrees, by the way. I want to get this quote out of the beginning oh, okay. where he said in his original review in 1984, he said, Spinal Tap is not that much worse than and not that much different from some successful rock bands. Absolutely. That is exactly the way to put it. <laughs> I mean, that's why he gets paid the big bucks. But I, it's funny. I like... You know, li- watching the movie, it, I kept fluctuating between, like, this is actually really good. Like, I would hear this on the radio and not think anything of it. And then just the innuendos of it are so... That was the funniest we- thing. Because, like, it's it exactly nails that, like, 80s rock, like, clearly talking about something very sexual, there but in a-, a very couched language. And then just if you will, turns it up to 11 because every other <laughs> line of the song is a fucking ridiculous innuendo. There is a reason why, like, Kiss and Def Leppard and all that kind of stuff became known as cock rock. There's oh, a reason yeah, for that. Because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. every song is at least obliquely about their dicks. Like, every right. single one. Um, and I, really quickly, I want to go through... I, I'm not in this one, but, like, the songs that they play in the movie are uh, Tonight I'm Gonna Rock You Tonight, Big Bottom, <laughs> uh, Hellhole, Sex Farm, Stonehenge, Heavy Duty, and of course, the in-progress Lick My Love Pump, which is <laughs> the best title of all of them. He's like playing this like beautiful classical piece that it's like it's inspired by, um, it's kind of like a combination between, what is it, like Mozart Bach and Bach? Bach yeah. and Mozart, yeah. And he's like, it's called Lick My Love Pump. <laughs> <laughs> As I was thinking about this episode today at work, I was listening. I was like curious <laughs> if Spotify, if um, Spinal Tap was on Spotify, mm-hmm. and it was. And so I of listened, course. and half of it, I was like, "Yeah, you know, this is great." And then I think it's Funky Sex Farm is the technical probably title. yeah okay. I was listening to that, and like I actually started laughing out loud because it's just literally every other line they'll do a line of just like ridiculous like it's it's just I can't think of any of them right now, but it's like. And rake you down and hoe you up and then just like plow I'm your gonna, bean field yeah I'm gonna plow your field wash your barn doors <laughs> like So, okay, I will... Before, it's just nonsense words that you're like, oh, that sounds really dirty, but actually means zero. Means nothing, like, yeah. It means nothing. But uh, before I forget, not before yeah. we get too far, but, like, if you enjoy Spinal Tap, this goes for Kari, you, and for all of our listeners, yeah, if you anyway. enjoy Spinal Tap, the band, uh, you need to check out this band called Steel Panther. Mm-hmm. They are a band that takes the Spinal Tap formula and just applies it to, like, the 80s hair metal of, uh, like... Def Leppard uh-huh. and Motley Crue, and they're just these very stupid, ag- like aggressively stupid single entendre like hair metal single songs. Entendre. So anyway, if you enjoy the actual music of of uh, uh, of Spinal Tap as uh, Kari and I do, check out Steel Panther. Anyway, we're big Spinal Tap fans now. You yeah. probably were before, but I didn't, I know. hadn't checked them out in a long time. By the way, also again before I forget, the band Spinal Tap outside the movie, uh-huh. they actually did tour. Obviously, they recorded. They toured. They played at, like, clubs and things like that, including a performance at the legendary Live Aid in 1985. No way. Spinal Tap played at Live Aid. They played at Live Aid. That's insane. Yes. That is insane. Okay, the thing, though, as I was looking at them on Spotify, there is not an album named Smell the Glove. No. Was there Shark Sandwich either or no. Gospel According to Spinal Tap? No. All of those albums they named in the in the documentary were hilarious. Like, the Shark Sandwich the shit sandwich, sandwich was like, terrific. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. But, yeah, they already they thought of different album names, even though they already had them named. <laughs> that, I don't know. That seems like a waste of great material yeah, to me, like, but whatever. That's probably the hardest part, and you just, uh-huh. you've already done the work. Why bother? Yeah. It was interesting how long it took me to really, like, get, like, oh, my God, they're being over the top. Because 
there's a certain amount of over the top that like we're just kind of desensitized to. Oh, for sure. To, like this is the kind of music I kind of grew up on, so it was. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, listen oh, to yeah, no, that's listen to up. any Aerosmith record from like the late seventies, and yeah, they're not or or Kiss for that matter. Yeah. Like Love Gun is not that far from Sex Farm I, by <laughs> Kiss, like you know Kiss and yeah, it, it, like the Brown Sugars and stuff. Like that is mm-hmm. that's I mean, uh, arguably kind of one of the worst ones, but it's just yeah, it's it's out there. It's real life. There's only so much more kind of above that level yeah. that Spinal Tap is going. So the song's like the songwriting is like perfect satire on its uh, own. It's because it, because it, again, cannot stress this enough, the songs are very good. They're great. Like musically, they sound terrific. Yeah. Um but they're also like the lyrics are just so aggressively stupid that they're it, it's that makes them perfect. I don't yeah. know. It, to me, did you have a favorite song? Hmm. Let me let me pull up my Spotify real quick and see um, Funky Sex Farm was... That is a good I one. I did like that one a lot. Um, the... Oh, no, Jazz Odyssey. I forgot Jazz Odyssey, the one that played at, um, Themeland Amusement Park. Oh, yeah. That was interesting. Was there a specific band they were spoofing with that, or was that just, like... I have no idea. You know, I, I, I just, everybody like, goes just through in, their funky, like, jazz... Yeah, the music. indulgent 70s rock bands that would always try, like, you know, 30-minute solos and things like that. Yeah. I did actually really enjoy Stonehenge. Stonehenge is pretty good, Tonight I'm Gonna Rock You Tonight, I think, is just, like, <laughs> musically, good. like, my probably my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, most of the songs that came on, I was like, oh, damn, this is a great song. Yeah. This is actually a really good song. Heavy Duty? Yeah, I like that one, too. The, what was the Fat Bottom Girls one? Uh, Big Bottom. Big Bottom. That one was good. I, yeah. Was... That one, <laughs> so I, I read, and this is just how, how deep the, uh, the level of uh, commitment to musicianship goes. Apparently, all three like in the actual studio recording, all three of the front men played bass at the same time. And so if you have what? a really bassy stereo system, you can hear three distinct bass lines that just bottom out your bass. Wow. So hence the title, Big Bottom. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. I did also, as I was listening to this on Spotify, mm-hmm. I don't know that this made it into the film, but there's a song called um, Celtic Blues. Oh, that, I don't think it made it in. Uh, yeah, I... I love, like, um, the Avett Brothers are one of my favorite bands. I went through definitely a, like, Mumford & Sons kind of period, Lumineers, all that. But Celtic Blues is very much in that style of kind of a, like, you know, they go into this, like, Irish, very folksy mm-hmm. type song. But the the interludes, like, they keep, they they leave in this part at the end and kind of in the middle, too, where they're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably good, right? I mean, no, nah, we're not going to record it again. It's, it's fine. That's fine. <laughs> and, like, because it's all very, like, you know, there's a lot of harmony. There's mm-hmm. a lot of like just them singing. It's supposed to be very intimate and kind of off the cuff feeling. And then all the commentary just makes it really, really funny. So that's that was a, another comedy piece that I liked. That's uh, okay. So I, I will admit I haven't listened to hardly any of uh, Spinal Tap. Like the, their their stuff that wasn't in the movie. Like yeah. I, I'm familiar with the movie. I'm not as familiar with the music. Which I oh, will. You only s- know their hits. You only know. I, I only know their hits. Yeah. Hits. I only I only know the um uh lick the glove. Uh, lick the glove. Smell the glove. Period. Uh, uh Spinal Tap. That's uh, uh, they kind of jumped the shark after that. But anyway, no. No, um, I don't know how familiar you are with like, I don't know. Were you ever like a Led Zeppelin listener? Like, were you ever like a fan of Led Zeppelin? I, I mean, I listened to kind of dad rock growing up, so I, I know some of. It's a very theirs, nebulous but term, a, but I know what you mean. You know, uh, you you didn't grow up around here. Uh, anybody sure didn't. knows uh, <laughs> Fox ninety seven? That was kind of my gotcha. that was our jam. But it, you know, good times, great oldies. Yeah, cla- classic rocky, yeah. yeah, kind of stuff. Anyway. Well, the only reason I bring that up is because, like, Led Zeppelin is, like, notorious for having, like... And they're not the only band guilty of this, but I feel like they're the most famous offenders of having just, like, very, like, oh, we're going to have an album cut with, like, an, uh, with just a mandolin or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, so that, what you just described, sounded exactly like a Led Zeppelin, like, album cut yeah. to me. But anyway, they're very, you know, very into, like, uh, you know... Druid mythology and Lord of the Rings and all this shit. Right. Anyway, no one knows who they are or where they came from. There was some line I wanted them to add to that. I was like, oh, oh what they were doing, I think. Was the like, Druids. The Druids. Um, but yeah, you're right. Stonehenge was a good song. So uh, Christopher Guest and um, Michael McKean, are they British? No, they okay, are they all do American. They that like, very, like, Co- not cockney, they're very, but, but like, it was that kind of, uh, you know, British, 
voice like very well. Uh, act, they're they're both very American. However, uh, Christopher Guest, and this is true, is actually an extended member of the British royal family. What? He is like the fifth Baron of something. That's crazy. Yeah, and he's American. And he's American. Can they do that? Well, he he obviously is related to the Brit. Like I somebody know. somebody emigrated, but by lineage and by like the laws of British Admiralty or whatever. Wow. Yes. So anyway, yeah. Fun fact. Um, not as fun as the one I'm going to drop on you at the end of this episode. Okay, so there's still a like. There's still a fun. But that I wasn't was the fun fact. If it was the, that uh, wasn't the one that was going like, to blow your mind. Yeah. I thought the musicians like the laundry list was maybe the fun fact. But okay. No, that's that's all. <laughs> those are fun facts. And those. That's something's going to blow my mind more than that. I think so. Okay. Um, but moving right along here. Um, oh my god, we, I can't even imagine what it. Would we be. have to. We do kind of have to talk because you know last week we talked about what we do in the shadows, mm-hmm. and this was kind of fortuitous timing. Um, not totally coincidental, but kind of coincidental because, like, I mean, I might as well relate a short version of the story. We were going to go to see... I was going to surprise Kari with a public screening of This Is Spinal Tap that just happened to be announced right when we recorded last week's episode. But then, weird, I caught the flu the night that we were supposed to go to this thing. So... If you live in Atlanta, you know that literally everyone you know has the flu right now, so you're probably not shocked. But for people outside the city, we are struggling in here. I was going to say, if you live in the northern hemisphere of planet Earth, you know that everybody's got the flu right now. Oh, it's that's bad. fair. I have had people... The time you got the flu, I think you were maybe, like, sixth person to tell me you had the flu, including friends in New York and out of state. And I mean... I was like, I'm definitely going to get the flu. So what we do in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, go on. All right. So we, you know, last week we had what we do in the shadows and, you know, there, we cannot avoid comparing these two movies. I mean, coming back to back, they have so much in common. Yeah. Um, you know, they're both mockumentaries kind of as commentary on relevant social interests. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did talk a little bit about like the idea of like parody versus satire. Um, I personally felt like what we do in the shadows more parody than satire. Um, I'd agree with that. I think because as you're saying this, like you know the the kind of commenting on the current climate. Like I'm not sure what that would be for mm-hmm. what we do in the shadows. Yeah. Like, what commentary it was trying well, just to make the popularity of vampires in in fiction. Sure, and that's an easy like that's that's not satire level, I guess. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with Spinal Tap, I I actually think it's kind of both. Because it's yeah. a parody of the rockumentary, quote unquote, because mm-hmm. that is a legitimate like genre, of, like subgenre of documentary filmmaking. Right. So it was a parody of those documentaries, but also a satire of like the rock music scene. Right. I guess for me, I would think of satire as something kind of pointed. Like if mm-hmm. a satire is supposed to poke directly at something specific, a parody is supposed to be funny mm-hmm. and. Like you're saying about tropes. Like, a parody yeah. is supposed to kind of hang a lamp. Hang a lampshade? Hang a yeah. lampshade? Is that the phrase? Like, yeah, the idea, like... for those who are not familiar with tvtropes.com, <laughs> yeah. which you should be Get familiar with it. that. It's Get on it. Uh, the idea of hanging a lampshade on something is that if you've got something that is glaring and bright, what do you do? Do you pretend it doesn't exist? Do you take it out of the room? Or do you dull the effect by specifically hanging a lampshade on it. And that dull and bright thing is, is, is a cliche, basically. It's a yeah. trope. It's something that's so overdone that you've seen it a million times, and anyone who has seen anything related is going to be like, oh my god, they did that thing. Yes. So you, if you hang a lampshade on it, you're saying like, hey, yeah, yeah, I we did know. this thing. Like, yeah. look at this. It, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's saying, yeah, yeah, we know. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. That's it. So, yes. I, I think parody is more of like, pointing out those, like, you've seen this a million times and we're going to tell you, like, we're going to acknowledge that you've seen this yes. a million times, whereas satire is more like, there's this thing going on and maybe we're all taking it seriously, but, like, let's look at it a little differently. And I think, yeah, the, the what we do in the shadows is more of a parody of, like, ah, we've seen this, we've seen vampire right. things a million times. Like, isn't it funny if you look at it like this? Mm-hmm. And then, um, you, uh, this is Spinal Top is more of, like, we, like, Let's look at rock culture a little yeah. bit and maybe take a step back and 
Maybe why um, having a naked woman smelling a glove is different than what the whole like, oh oh yeah no, they said uh, you're the victim if the singer's different. the victim it's not sexist it's which not sexist. we can for sure get into that conversation here in a sec but uh, also, yes Fran Drescher as their like PR agent or whoever yes. she's supposed to be oh my god not it made me really realize it's the nanny yeah Fran Drescher in this movie is really funny. Partly unintentionally, I feel like, because this is before her, the nanny character. Was it? Oh, way before. Because that that, that show didn't come on until, like, probably, like, 91 or 92. Oh, okay. So, like, several years later. What year did this Spinal Tap come out? 84. This is 1984. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, early, mid-80s. This this, is really in the middle of it. Right in the thick of it. Yeah. So, this is not... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. This is not a movie made in retrospect. Okay. This is a movie made as it was happening. Wow. And if they had known that, like... Motley Crue and Bon Jovi were going to be the biggest bands in the world in a couple of years. Yeah. They must have had a freaking crystal ball or something like that. Um, But anyhow, yeah, they were, they were, it's funny how they were like parody, like by parodying the like Led Zeppelins and Kiss and things like that, they ended up doing a parody of those bands that became predictive of the bands that came immediately after yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, anyway, so continuing on with like talking about this, this is Spinal Tap versus what we do in the shadows. They both deal with kind of fantasy characters in a way. Like, the idea of the vampire and the rock star mm. are both kind of, like... They're built up to be sort of, like, these, like, romanticized, ageless, hedonistic characters that mm. are, like, kind of, like, fantasy fulfillment in some ways. Yeah. Um, with a lot of, kind of, like, uh, like sexual baggage that comes along with them in a lot of ways. Um, and I feel like they kind of, like, occupy a similar romantic positions in the public imagination just for, like, different different people more or less no that's a great parallel um because like you know rock stars never want to get old you know it's like you want to like be you want to be 19 for the rest of your life more or less true and they bring that up at the end of the movie they're like are we we just gonna be 45 yeah yeah around the stage yeah exactly um and it's something that like vampires literally do not get old rock stars never want to face the fact that they are getting old right (laughs) i saw billy idol at a music midtown a couple years ago jealous it was it was amazing. Yeah, I but bet. Also, it was like, damn, you're old. He like he was wearing like maybe four jackets when he started. This is September in Atlanta, Georgia, United States of America. Shorts and like yeah, nothing. So no, no, no. That's not even the best part of the story. So he's wearing at least four yeah, layers. Go on. As he's singing, he's like peeling off layers, like doing the Billy Idol like thing. <laughs> he peels off. All four layers, so no, like, bare-chested. And then he puts on three of them. So he, like, (laughs) takes off his shirt, puts back on his vest, and then, like, his jacket, and then his leather jacket. So he's, like, bare-chested underneath all of it, but he literally, like, strips down and then puts three of them back on. That is a perfect spinal tap gag. It absolutely was. I was just like, oh, my God, I'm dying. That's amazing. I... Oh, it was a moment. It was a it was a mockumentary moment. I love that. I <laughs> unironically I love that. I think he gave a fantastic performance, but it was also like, damn, that Billy is, Idol. That is he so, is so good. Billy Idol, and yet. But yeah, the, the idea of just like you never want to get old, right? These rock stars, right. they never want to like face the fact that they are mortal human beings that get old, whereas vampires are confronted constantly by the fact that they are immortal and will not get old. Wow. So, you know, it's an interesting, I thought it was an interesting parallel. Yeah. Uh, or two sides of the same coin, more or less. Also, by the way, the <laughs> this movie had, takes a weird turn into magical realism with the idea of the drummer exploding on stage. Yeah, okay, uh, yes, I was going to mention this in our, like, parody satire thing. It really does go back and forth in very obvious ways, <laughs> I feel like. There are times, so the drummers talk, it's, it kind, like, they, so many of their drummers have died. And it's it's a funny joke, it's a good <laughs> gag, but all the ways they died are so fantastical that it kind of leaves that satire of, like, yeah, lots of rock bands drummers like just you they they disappear. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they go and you replace them and some people just don't notice. Like Ringo wasn't the first drummer in the Beatles. Right. And yeah, that I don't know if I totally loved that. It kind of I didn't I don't know. The tone shift, I'm not sure it totally worked as well as what we do in the shadows, which I know people are going to be really upset cuz this is a classic, but I don't know. I thought I thought it when it got into the really fantastical, it was just kind of unnecessary. Like it did the satire so well 
why? Like, why? Why does it unnecessary? Make you that silly? Unnecessary, definitely. I would agree with you one hundred percent that it's unnecessary. However, I kind of loved it, <laughs> and I wish that they had taken more departures into like complete absurdity. Uh huh. It, it was not enough. I felt like it was. Okay. You, either, you either didn't have lots or none at all. That's okay. I, I think that's where I'm at too. Like, you, commit to the gag and yeah. just have some weird shit happen, mm-hmm. or don't and have it be completely a satire and yeah. you know i think you can keep in the 11 you can keep in like all the really <laughs> yes. good gags because that's real life like mm-hmm. yeah some of mm-hmm. the you know your your lead guitarist just may not be the right. brightest man in the world and that's hilarious yeah. but well and i did have a yeah go I ahead please, back please. To that sometime but uh, i wasn't totally sure on what nigel was supposed to like there's the scene where they're at elvis's grave yes and like he is just totally botching the harmonies what <laughs> yeah. is i was like so are we supposed to believe he just doesn't have any talent and he was like riding along no i mean it was the thing with Nigel, I, I thought it was partly the fact that he was just a very stupid and like he's <laughs> only good at playing instruments okay. like he's not good at he's 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 sort of i kind of felt like his character was built up to be just like a total idiot savant where everybody in the uh-huh. band was kind of dumb uh-huh. but he was just like a complete idiot savant where the only thing he could do is play instruments but he sang lead vocals for some of the songs and did he, was he? Great. Oh, i don't yeah, remember she sang oh no i guess he did the talking part at the beginning there was another song that he sang lead but he wasn't so. like he wasn't doing anything complicated and harmonizing. Yeah, I guess, so. that's true. That's true. It was so funny, but I was also like, "What are we supposed to take from this? Are you like, is he is he just bad at being a musician? <laughs> no, maybe maybe just stay in the key that I'm in, though, right? Like, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that seems great. and let's that seems like a perfect way to like transition into like this movie's classic status. Like, yeah. obviously, I feel like it has benefited enormously from the huge number of musicians who have commented on the fact that like no this is very true to life it's like real life with punchlines yeah um but what i wanted to ask you and i think i know your answer to this do you think the comedy in this movie holds up yes i think it's more realistic than like laugh out loud funny (laughs) like there was a lot of stuff that i was just like wow this could be real life but no real quick it's like the epitome of it's funny because it's true. Yes, yes, fair. I, I think it's funny. I wasn't like, there were no moments that I was like, ah, oh, that's a swing and a miss. But it's not, you know, we talked about what we do in the shadows. It's just, that's silly and goofy and you're like, that's a joke. Mm-hmm. This one, it's like, uh, that's a, that's a spoof. That's a satire. Like that's, you know, that's real life. So it's less like laugh out loud mm-hmm. funny. But I do think the humor overall Holds out. There were definitely moments where I was just like, that is hilarious. Like, uh, the scene with, like, the, the ant that goes to Eleven is the most famous scene in the movie, without absolutely, a doubt. Absolutely, absolutely. And it has become a cultural meme. Yeah. For good reason, because yeah. it is so fucking funny. Like, yeah. That's, I, okay, the funniest part, like, the part that I actually was laughing out loud at was the end credits, which makes sense now that they shot so much footage. It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. it had to go somewhere. But yeah, they just do like riffs and riffs and riffs at the end. And it's all the like, this kind of talking head interview portions. I'm trying to think of some of the specific quotes, but like, it was just all so ridiculous. There was the one about the skeleton t-shirt. And he's like, yeah, this is my actual skeleton. Like, this is exactly how it looks. And Rob Reiner's like, but it's not green, green." but no, the blood. Well, he's like, but you're, that's your veins though. That's not your skeleton. And he's like, what? Sometimes I sleep in this shirt. <laughs> what does the drummer say to him? He's like, yeah, it's just, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what I'm pursuing, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, well, like, if you weren't doing this, what would you do? And he's like, I mean, anything with sex and drugs. I guess I could leave the rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, true life. I get it. What was Nigel's? He's like, I don't know, like, work in a shop. Work in a shop. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Do you like black or no? yeah? What what size are you, sir? You know, uh, we don't we don't have that. Do you like black? <laughs> that whole like he's just an idiot. Yeah, he's so he's funny. so stupid. The discussion I, I I did want to bring this one up is the discussion surrounding the album cover like throughout mm. the movie for the smell the glove. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought was that part in particular. I feel like has not lost a single bit of its relevance. In the 35 years since that movie came out, yeah. which sucks in a way, but also still makes it very, like, accessible. Mm-hmm. Like, 
the discussion discussion around it of like you know the rejection the rejection of the cover which we never see and they right. just describe it which I thought was really funny and um, like when they're when um, uh, Nigel and David are talking to um, Marty about like well do you think it's offensive or do you think that it's this that and other thing like I mean it's a joke I mean it's not if it's a joke it doesn't matter it's not like it's not we're saying that like she should be made to smell the gloves like well maybe she should be made to smell it but not like repeatedly not like over and over like maybe once <laughs> I was like these are these guys are so dumb so stupid but like that I can for sure see that exact conversation still happening and then as we mentioned earlier the competing singers album where it's like oh well if the singer's the victim it's not sexist like all of those discussions I was like these are still very irrelevant discussions yeah. and that makes them biting but also very funny yeah I feel like that discussion happens a lot with rap and hip hop now <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. can absolutely see this being the time for a spinal tap of that genre mm-hmm. like and I don't I don't know that it exists I don't know that this has happened for any other genre what I kept thinking about and I have not seen this movie and so mm-hmm. you might call me up for not knowing what I'm talking about but um Walk Hard the Dewey Cox story yes have you seen that one of course this is that's what I thought of okay I've not seen it but it's that kind of like very specific you know it like references the Beatles and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. but like generic but so specific yeah I, I get what you're saying and I I think you know other genres of music absolutely could could use one of those right yeah uh, yeah for sure any genre of music yeah. you could do something similar definitely um and it's been attempted just you've never heard of any of the other ones because they're not that good yeah um this but the, the one the one last thing about the the uh, discussion about the album cover the uh, when they get the just the glossy black one and they're like trying to convince themselves like oh yeah this is kind of good it's like it's like it's like how much more black could it be the answer is none none, none more black, black. <laughs> none more none more black um it also like great lines yeah and great names as well for people, places, and things. Um, some of my favorites like that were not main characters that just get brought up were Ross McLochness. Loch Ness. <laughs> um, Eric Stumpy Joe Childs. Yeah. Mick, one of their drummers, right? Mick <laughs> Shrimpton. Um, <laughs> Themeland Amusement Park. And this one I thought was hysterical because it was a, a kind of a way homer. Um, when they said they played the festival at the Isle of Lucy. Mm-hmm. Did you pick up yeah, I love the Lucy. Isle of Lucy? I was like, oh my god, you guys, get out of here. Oh, get so right out of here. And what was um, St. Hubbins? David St. Hubbins. David Hubbins, yeah. One of the main characters, but he goes on a whole thing about, like, he's like one of the lesser known saints, <laughs> St. Hubbins. He's the saint of uh, sensible footwear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he, God, it's so great. Um, and then, like, some scenes that, for some reason, I always forget about, because I've seen this movie several times, and it's like the sandwich scene early on where he's backstage and he's trying to make the sandwich and he can't figure it out. And he's like, like oh, well, if you keep, keep folding, folding it, it breaks apart. He's like, well, no, to fold the meat. He's like, yeah, but then you got to fill the bread. So just gonna, you got to keep folding it, right? And he picks up the olive and he's like, who's in here? No one. Like, this is so perfect. So, it doesn't. It's fine. It's a joke. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's just fine. having a laugh. I just like uh, you know. It's it's just really throwing me off. That the you just um, gotta keep folding it. Why do you keep folding? <laughs> Stop folding. It's gonna break it's on the bread. And then like the repeated joke of like when they're playing and their amplifiers are picking up police scanners. Yeah. He's like, this is my radio, and then yeah, just yeah. Yeah. Which I thought sounded kind of good. I was like, if that was me, I would have been like, yeah. That was cool. In. Just yeah. roll with it. Well, this yeah. is in the age now of sampling and like uh, dropping, okay. you know, of course. Like that was kind of unheard of at the time, <laughs> I feel like. But anyway. Um, but um, a follow-up question here. How dependent would you say that this movie is on the social climate of its day? Um, I would say very dependent. I think I... I still appreciated that aspect of it, but because I understood mm-hmm. the context it was in. You know, I I wrote this down. I think what I wrote down was this meant something at the time. <laughs> and that's not what I mean. But, like, you can feel... Yeah, the like music said, really meant something back yeah, then. It really meant something. But, like, no, the climate that they're referencing, like, if you're familiar with this genre of rock and roll and this era, mm-hmm. it's you can tell that there is a message they're trying to convey or something that they are responding to. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we have the same exact issue. I mean, like, you know, sexism and music mm-hmm. and all that stuff is still, and, like, you know, hype sexuality and, and couching different, like, kind of not totally socially acceptable things into popular lyrics mm-hmm. is, is still totally a thing. 
But I don't think this... It's so specific to this genre, and I don't think this genre really exists in the same way anymore. I agree. But I don't think that yeah. means it doesn't hold up. I right. Think it's still... It's just a super ingrained part of our culture mm-hmm. that still is relevant. Yeah. I just don't think it... it it doesn't necessarily speak to culture now the same way that it spoke to that culture then. You can still appreciate yeah. it because it's still, you know, it's still a thing, but it's not necessarily, like, speaking to current issues. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. That's how I feel. I, I was thinking about this because I, I didn't really have an answer for this question when I wrote it down, but um, one thing that I feel like is just kind of by coincidence the 80s nostalgia is so strong in, like, the world we live in today oh, okay. and has been for, like, the last 15 years for whatever reason sure. um, that we still kind of get it. Yeah. Because that stuff that they're making fun of never really went away. Like, it kind of dipped in the 90s. But, like, since about... I would argue that the 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 turning point was, like, in 2002 or 2003 when VH1 made... I love the 80s. (laughs) And ever since then, America has been, like, on an extended love affair with, like, 80s pop culture. Sure. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I guess if this had been, like, you know, I don't know, Elvis Presley and Buddy Holiday and stuff like, like, you know. Did you say Buddy Holiday? Did I mix those up? Sorry. Buddy Holly and Billy Holiday. I always get those confused. Wow, yeah, okay. Just the names. It's phonetic, but... Um, yeah, if this had been, like, yeah, Buddy Holly or Elvis Presley or somebody, like, some different era of very prominent musicians or musical styles, go on. Whatever you're going to No, 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 no. All I was going to say was, I will let you continue that thought. Remember you said that because that statement, I feel like, is going to come back to haunt you in a later episode. That's all I'm going to say about it. jeez. Okay. Um... Anyway, if if this had been a different era of still equally iconic music, mm-hmm. I'm not sure we, we would still appreciate the cultural context okay. as much. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Okay. No, that does make sense. I, I see what you mean. And of course, normally with a movie that is as old as this one, we would talk about like if it's a movie we've made today, who would we cast in the remake? Ooh. I don't necessarily think that that's a relevant question because I don't think that this movie could ever be officially remade with the same characters and the same yeah. situations like that this is like one of those movies I feel like is immune to a remake more or less however a, a direct remake mm-hmm. however I am curious if this movie was made today or a similar kind of movie how would it be made different or the same like not as a remake but if like this concept of like we are going to parody popular music of today mm. in a straight styled documentary. What do you think would be different? What do you think would be the same? Um, I do think that maybe rap or hip hop would be the subject because I it's a pretty self serious mm-hmm. genre generally. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of posing. There's a lot of kind of or and not posing posturing. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of kind of like identity statements to it similar to kind of that 80s rock and roll of like this is who I am Mm -hmm. this is how much sex I have in my personal life stuff like that um I think yeah that would be the genre I think it would be maybe totally similar different obviously I mean there would be I think racial politics in it for sure um yeah you know, I, know. I, I tend to agree with you, mm-hmm. and that leads into, like, we don't need to get into this in detail, but that leads into the idea that, like, the hip-hop community, when grunge came around and, like, rock stardom kind of morphed into something different, mm-hmm. the hip-hop community was very quick to adopt a lot of, like, the things that were traditionally associated with, like, rock stars. And I don't say that as, like, a negative. I think that's just, like, a thing that happened. So it's, like, this whole thing about, like, you know money, private jets, expensive cars, naked women. That was all rock star stuff until like Nirvana came around. And then over the course of a few years that became all of those formerly like rock star tropes became hip hop tropes. Mm, interesting. It just changed like it just cha- it changed hands. That's all that ha- that's all that happened. So with that in mind, yeah, I think that you're absolutely right that like of today that would be like the perfect genre. However, I would also be interested in versions of this movie that deal with, like, electronic music culture. 
yeah. Festival circuits, like the bands that are like on like that go to like Coachella and Bonnaroo and stuff like that. And also uh, country music, like modern country music, I think is loaded with cliches that could be exploited for a movie like this. Yeah, I would, I think country, country popped in my head, but I, I think it's dangerous to get into that territory and not turn into the like, oh, like a bunch of hillbillies. Like that's not interesting to me. That's true. I don't. I we have exhausted that, and I don't think there's anything to mine there anymore. But if that's you that's do probably it, because you grew up in Cumming, Georgia, and none of that stuff is funny what? to you. But I mean, yeah, it's it's country pride. But it, it just I mean I think it's an exhausted trope as well. And absolutely, there's some some hometown politics there. But <laughs> I do. When Jason Aldean is your neighbor, it's hard to find humor in that kind of thing, I assume. I don't even know who that that's is. Fine. It's that's not fine. bad. Um, I, I worked yeah. in country radio for three years. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> See, I'm not a big country fan. I just like don't think yeah. that's an interesting... I, maybe because I worked close to the industry for a couple of years. Because mm-hmm. I, I understand the concern that it would just be like tired, like redneck oh, tropes. Or, yeah. But exactly. I feel like the actual culture of like modern Nashville is ripe for this kind of thing. Absolutely. Like, if you could do it in a way that's not just, like, an outsider making fun of a bunch of rednecks... Precisely, yes. Yes. There's something super interesting there. But, um, I... EDM I didn't think about, but that absolutely would be interesting. Festival culture is huge right now, and I feel like possibly... I mean, hot take, but I feel like it's on the decline. Hmm. So, like... You know, maybe I mean, time will tell. There. We'll see. Time will tell. And I could be totally wrong. It's still huge, but I feel like it's peaked. Um, but yeah, I, I do. I think any of those, really any genre could take this mm-hmm. because there is, you know, there are dedicated fans. There are huge stars and names and personalities. And there is a certain amount of self-seriousness that comes with, you know, stardom yeah. like that. So you could absolutely yeah take that down somehow but yeah yeah i i don't know i would watch any of those yeah um i think the hip-hop version would be the most interesting to me um have you even heard of i don't know anybody that's seen this movie but have you ever even heard of the chris rock movie cb4 no it was a parody of uh straight out of compton that came out 25 years before straight out of compton (laughs) um anyway so that different kind of like that's like a biopic parody more than anything or whatever um but yeah that kind of uh, brings us to the end where we're going to kind of wrap up here any final thoughts before we get to the recommendation for next week well i guess i didn't ask you this yet but like where does this movie fit into your life when when do you watch it mm-hmm. you said you've watched it several times yes how to yeah where i kind of watch it just like whenever i think about it you know like okay. whenever i like whenever it's like i haven't seen that in a long time that movie's really funny <laughs> Um, where does it fit in my life? I don't know that it holds a specific place other than the fact that I unironically love stupid rock music from the 80s. Mm. Um, I openly recognize that it's very dumb, but I really enjoy it. And I love the fact that this movie seems to hold it in the same level of affection while also recognizing it's very stupid. Yeah. It's not good in the classical sense, but it's highly enjoyable, lots of fun, and even though these guys are morons, they still manage to pump out some pretty interesting sound. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's way better than a parody band has any right to be. I was That's something I didn't bring up. There are a lot of bands that exist only in a movie uh-huh. that aren't, like, known primarily, like, because a lot of movies will bring in, like, Blink-182 was in a scene in American Pie, for example. They didn't really play any music. My point being, if you want a band in a movie to sound like actual music, you have to bring in like a real band. Mm -hmm. This movie uh, defies all odds and actually has a band intended only for the purpose of the movie that sounds great. Yeah. That never happens. It's like... Not since the Monkees has a band assembled only for a movie oh or a God, show or a so TV true. show yeah. actually been kind of good. I loved the Monkees growing up. I used to watch yeah, that too. show all the time as a kid. Me too, actually. <laughs> um, yes, TV land. Shout out. Yeah. Um, anything else before we get to recommendation for next week? I. Um, let's see. I I don't know. I think we covered all of cool. it. Cool. Well, I promised a brain bending oh, fun that's fact right, for you. That's right. Yeah. J.K. Rowling. No. Oh my god, you're bringing in J.K. Rowling. Where is this going? J.K. Rowling has 
directly cited Spinal Tap's series of drummers as an inspiration for the Harry Potter series in which something bad happens to every teacher for defense against the dark arts, causing them to leave the job without completing a full school year. Oh my god. My mind is blown. That's freaking nuts. Told ya. Oh my god, J.K. Rowling loves Spinal Tap. Who knew? To the point where she explicitly based this on that. Or a, what? Where did you see that? Uh, Set your sources. It, 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 I can send it to you. I will post the link on our Facebook page. Um, but yeah, this is from an interview with J.K. Rowling. No freaking way. She, yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay, 10 for 10 on this movie. <laughs> J.K. loves it. Would you say 10 points to Gryffindor? <laughs> 10 points to Gryffindor. Um, That's freaking cool. Anyway, I wanted to say that one for the very end because oh I know that God. you and some of our listeners would definitely appreciate that. That's too funny. Um, yeah. No, worth the wait. I, awesome. I was I was nervous because I didn't know what <laughs> fact could. I was afraid that you had come across this in your own independent research, but Absolutely apparently not. Absolutely not. So, I do minimal research. Good. Well, I appreciate that. So one last thing before our next pick, would you recommend this movie? Absolutely, it's iconic. It's it's just like, yeah. There's so many cultural means. I mean, I I knew Eleven came from this, and probably. I would assume everyone does, but like you were saying, maybe like, you know, cultural references. Yeah, that thing about like turning things up to 11 is at this point, I feel almost so ingrained in the popular lexicon that there are probably a lot of people that don't know where it comes from. That's yeah, it's it's possible for sure. Um, Yeah, but you know, there's just like. It's just iconic. And especially if you have any interest in this kind of music, like this is a. it's a really nostalgic genre for me just because, yeah, it's oh, what yeah. I grew up on. Grew up on. That's what I grew up on. It's what I grew up on. I, I also grew up on music like this. I grew up on music like this all the time. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Get them I'm deals. Done. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I I think so. It's, it's just one of those, like, when we talked about Goodfellas, like, you should just see it mm-hmm. to have seen this movie. Once you so see yes. it, you'll get it. You'll get it. And even if you don't, at least you've seen it. And now when people say random things in a British accent, you'll be like, ah. I, I hate to put it in this term, ter- in these terms, but this is one of those movies where whether you like it or not, having seen this movie will make you much cooler. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You don't think we've missed the window of like cooler for this movie? No, like, no, no. Okay. No. No. So I'm cooler now, is what you're saying. Yes, that's correct. Right. How much? I don't know, but more. Yeah, well, you more. can only go up so far. Like once you once you reach level, once you reach max level, you stop yeah, leveling. You know, incremental, but okay. Awesome. Okay, so without further ado, Kari, what do we have to look forward to next week? All right, so something very exciting. So in the 1960s, two friends stir up trouble at an all-girls Catholic boarding school. As they come of age, they realize they have more in common with the nuns than they would like to think. Kay, have you seen The Trouble with Angels? have not. I've actually never even heard of that movie. Me neither. That's because it's a guest pick. We're oh, going to have what? our own, our very own Kelly Quindlin, one of our good friends on Wait, the episode next time week. out. Are you talking about famous Atlanta-based author Kelly Quindlin? The very same, oh Kyle. Oh, my God. Do you know her personally? I do. Very Me good friend. Too. Close personal friend. Love her. Can't wait to have her on the podcast. So uh, next week, look out for that episode, The Trouble with Angels. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait. And until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Kari. And we'll see you next week. See ya. If I were to ask you what your philosophy of life or your creed, what would that be? Have a good time all the time that's my philosophy oh fuck i mean shoot (laughs) trying to swear less in this podcast